Welcome, welcome to another Rags Riches Secrets. What we're going to do is, in my last podcast, I talked about how to join the 250K plus club, like in revenue or, or income that you generate. Okay, only 5% of Americans make over 250,000K plus per year. So it's a very, very narrow group of people to do this. Now, there are actually weapons or, so to speak, tools that you can use that will allow you to join that club. Now, I, in my last podcast, I talked about a book called Influence, okay? This book right here is called Persuasion. It is all about learning how to cause people to move so that you can cause influence. Now, if you want to understand the power of this, let me give you an example. You guys, you ever heard of the country singer called George Strait? Okay, think about this. So just assume that you, uh, you are interested in George Strait, you like him, and you're watching a show, and all of a sudden you look over and you're like, Man, those boots George Strait's got are legit. He looks really good in those boots. And then you happen to notice the brand of the boot that he's wearing at that particular time. So then you go Google it and you go to the website. How prone are you to being willing to buy the same boots that George Strait had? Very, very likely, right? Now, that, that is the persuasion. Now consider if you are just out there looking for boots and you happen to stumble upon the same site, what probability are you likely to buy it? See, George Strait already pre-sold you on the idea of going there um, versus just showing up on the website. Now the copy on the website in that particular moment is where the book Influence comes into play. Persuasion is what happened before you got to the site. So what we're going to talk about here is how do you how do you set the stage so that you can have success? Um, my I had an uncle that told me a story really really good once, and what he said is he's like Mike. He says when we're taking and going about selling, he says it's like literally setting the table. And he says if you want to create a fabulous meal so that you and somebody else has an amazing experience, he says think about it. First thing you're going to probably do is going to put it down a tablecloth, right? And then you're going to put down these plates. And then you're going to put the silverware in a certain fashion. And then you're going to put a glass. And, and maybe you're going to put something on top of the table that looks amazing. And he says, and then what it'll do is it'll cause people to start becoming interested. Okay? And then he says, let's say that you want to serve up cake. And you bring out this beautiful cake. Okay? And this cake looks amazing. And you're like, wow, I would love some of that cake. And if they were to cut a slice on it and provide it to you, you'd be like, yeah, now that's good. But now take them back up. What if the table didn't have tablecloths, had nothing on it? Somebody punched the cake, smashed it, and they came out and they just dropped it on this table. That was totally clean, right? They just dropped globs of this cake on the table. What likelihood are you to eat that? See, not as likely. There is what we're talking about is learning how to set the table so that you can get somebody willing to show up and to say yes, okay? So you get an example right here. This is like what you would call a privileged moment. He was talking about when he was a hand reader and he would get somebody up and he would start looking at their hands and like, you know, based on the ridges in, inside your hand, you're a very rigid and very, very focused person. And the person's like, naturally they're like, you're right. They start focusing on and paying attention to, you're right, I did this in my life. I did this and these things transpired. And all of a sudden, they will find the supporting evidence to can, that, that will support that very, very theory 
that took and transpired. At that same event, that same night, the same person came up to him and he read his palms. He's like, you know what? I can tell that you're very flexible and you're very open to other people's opinion and that you you consider what other people say and then make make educated decisions based on that. And they're like, you're right. I am. And they started thinking about events in their life when they were willing to do that or where they have done that. Whether And you could see what, what was kind of comical about it is the two things were diametrically opposed on how he read the palms. But in both instances, the person whose palm was read then came in and said, you are right. That, in fact, is true. That's how he can like successfully palm read is because he can talk in generalities about things that, tr that will trigger somebody to have memories that will find supporting evidence. I, I found this crazy bizarre. Think about it. Think about at work. Think about associations with people, right? If somebody was to come into, I, I, I laugh about it. Like you wonder like, why do some of these corporations get into all kinds of trouble? Why do they make such stupid mistakes and decisions and this and that? And what it is, is it's not that they don't get reams of paper, but when they have a predetermined outcome on what it is, they can then find the supporting evidence to confirm their belief systems. They could find supporting evidence to confirm that it is, and they could find supporting evidence that confirms that it isn't. Therefore, they people are persuaded to make really dumb decisions. Okay, so you can make good decisions, you can make bad decisions, but a lot of it comes down to like confirmation biases. Let me give you an example. Okay, they did a, they did a study and they said to somebody, "How happy are you?" And people are like. They, when they said, how happy are you? They're like, I'm very happy. But when they took and they switched it, how unhappy are you? 375% was more likely to declare themselves as unhappy when they were asked the, this, the different questions. And, I, and it's, it's crazy how your opinion can be swayed on this. There was a movie set I watched, okay? And everybody on this movie set thought that they were an actor not realizing that there was a real test actually transpiring. So they're all in this movie set, different groups staged in different places, and then there was this parked car. Okay, on comes on to this movie set, a car that takes and it hits, hits the parked car. And the police officer goes up to the different individuals. And he says, he says, how fast do you think that car was going when it bumped the other car? And they were like, oh, it's probably about 10 miles an hour. So then he went to a different group same it was the everything was identical they all witnessed the same thing and he goes he says how fast was that car going when it slammed into that car and all of a sudden there was like that was about 30 miles an hour and the thing that they were testing is bumped and slammed if using those two different words would cause people to have different outcomes or ex to explain the exact same event differently and it was it was completely it was like completely different outcomes based on if he said bumped or if he said slammed. You're persuaded by those words. So now you have to ask yourself, like if you're trying to sell a product and you want somebody to focus on something, you got to say, well, was this like, was it bumped into? Was it slammed into? Was it like, I could see alarm salesman saying, it's like, you could say, yeah, like somebody kind of just broke into the house down the street. Nothing really ha happened. Um, and it was resolved pretty quickly, like probably not going to sell an alarm, but then they could come up and say, man, somebody broke into the house down the street. They like, these people got messed up. 
and they could go on with details that would cause somebody to be terrified. And then they could say, would you like this alarm system? This would completely solve your entire life's problems, right? There's products that you probably have. Like you want to take and you want to sell a high-end car. Boy, you are not going to use words that's like, yeah, we went with the cheapest products, okay? You're, what you're going to talk about is these are high-end exclusive products. We only have a production run of like 50 of these worldwide. And it's not for everybody. It's only for the, the elite group, right? He used words on you that just like, yeah, I'm elite, man, baby. Here's my credit card. Swipe that quick and give that thing to me, right? And so he will, he will cause you to focus on different things that would cause you to become persuaded. So this next one right here is importance of attention. If you want to create, think about it. If you want to create like the impression that your product is absolutely amazing, then what you would do is you would want to provide influence or things supporting evidence that this is in fact like highly important. I'll give you an example. You wouldn't think that this would take place. They went and did a test with a furniture store and they wanted to sell sofas that were soft, very comfortable. So they put clouds in the background, big, soft, billowy, soft, really nice clouds, right? And when people came there, although they didn't realize it, they were influenced by the softness of the clouds to think that they should actually buy furniture that's very soft, okay? Very nice. They ran the exact same experiment where like they were showing like money signs, savings, lowest cost. And all of a sudden people would come and when they would come to the website, they were then predisposed to look for the cheapest products, the cheapest cost. And then like bargain shop and price shop, right? Whereas you're like, hey, I don't, I have a high ticket product. I don't want people to come in and do this. So then what you'll do is you'll say, look, I focus on the highest quality. I, I sell the good stuff, right? And then you will then cause people to become persuaded. Now you could do this in this particular circumstance. They're talking about background images. Um, like, when I talked about, like, I don't have to go out and directly say my competition, or you don't have to go out and directly say your competition sucks. What you could do is, like, we only focus on the highest quality, the best stuff, which therefore then suggests that your competition does not do that, right? Okay? So, uh, number four, uh, what is focal is causal. So, if you want somebody to, if you want somebody to, um, believe something, you then create more prominence about it. Now I'll take it, I'll show you an example. Like if you've got two people and they're in this conversation and you cause the, the camera to spend a lot more camera time on the perceived leader, the perceived leader then will be perceived as more important. You can control what is important by how much attention and camera time or whatever it is that you give it. So you might, maybe you've got multiple products on there. And you could do this. I do this all the time. I'll show you an example. Um, and, and see how this ties into what you're doing. Okay. Here, when I take and I put solar up on people's houses, it's like, you remember when gas was $2 a gallon? It's cheap, right? And everybody, like, I didn't really care. I just went and drove and drove and drove. But at five bucks a gallon and five fifty a gallon, you're like, well, wait a minute. Maybe I should cut back a little bit. And so you think twice about taking and doing that. What happens is, is when I put solar on somebody's house, they're like, wow, that's cheap. So all of a sudden they start cranking out using a whole bunch more. 
And then they're like, hey, Mike, why do I have a bill? I'm like, you have a bill because you discovered solar is cheap and then you started increasing your consumption way more than the system was designed to deliver. But because I know that, one of my, one of my weapons of persuasion is, is I'm like, look, I've discovered you're human, just like I'm human. And I tell them stories about, look, at $2 a gallon, I drove everywhere. At $5.50 a gallon, I drive less. You're just like, you're probably just like me because that's how everybody is. Look, most people have me add two to four additional panels because they already know that they're already going to consume more. Like, you didn't know that you needed another laptop, but you bought one. Did you know that you needed another refrigerator? No, but you bought one. Did you know that you needed another TV? No, but you bought one, right? The question is, is in the future, there's probably products that are coming out that you didn't know you needed that will then start consuming way more power. Therefore, when I, when I work with people, most people, 95% of people have me add two to four additional panels. Does that make sense? They're like, yes, I get it. Therefore, they become persuaded to actually buy more, which is a good thing because it saves me problems on the back end when they use more. And then they're like, I should have bought more. I'm like, I know you should have bought more. So you use persuasion to be able to help people. Okay. Okay. All right. There are commanders of attention. They're the attractors. Now, you might be saying, Mike, how do I command somebody's attention? How do I get somebody to pay attention to exactly what I want them to pay attention to? There are two techniques that are highly effective in driving or causing people to pay attention of it. One is sex. Two is threatening news, things that would then cause them to become terrified, okay? And so if you understand these two different things, you can then take and use them to create an experience. Okay, what do I mean by that? So for example, on, on sex, okay? If you were, let's just say you were to go into a movie, it's an intimate movie. And in this intimate situation, like people don't like to have big old orgy group sex collectively, okay? It's more of an intimate experience. When they come out of that, you could take and drive cells by having an intimate movie and then put inside the bathroom a vending machine for condoms and all of a sudden you'd discover people would highly be more susceptible to buying those, okay? Because you had an intimate movie and then you introduced an intimate product. Those two things, they're congruent with each other. Whereas if you were to introduce a scary movie, people do not want to be scared alone. You could then on the backside introduce a product that then talks about being safe inside a group, okay? And so if they had a scary movie going on, you would then introduce products that are not like exclusive. You would introduce like products that are like, hey, like everybody's doing this. Everybody's, and, and think of it, you've got to present your product in a very open position because at that moment, they do not want to be in little teeny tight-knit groups. They want to be exposed to a whole lot of people. So then you come into what we have is an investig uh, investigatory reflex. If you, want to take, if you want to take and create higher sales, like think of a sports car in this particular example, you are more likely to sell a sports car if you're like, this car is unique. We only make 50 of these things worldwide. If you want an exclusive experience, with a product that nobody else has, then you would want one of these. Therefore, it would be a very high ticket item that you could sell in a very unique situation. 
All right, so here we're going to look at number six, the magnetizers, okay? Um, one, one of the ways that you, this takes and transpires, if you ever watch, do you ever watch, um, like uh, I'm watching the movie or the television show, The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So what's unique about that? At the end of, at the end of every single episode, have you noticed that they, something dramatic transpires? And when it transpires, they don't tell you how it's going to be solved. It'll be, in the next episode, we'll tell you how such and such did it. It's like a soap opera. At the end of a soap opera, they will always leak it, leave it at a very high, intense moment where it, it is left undone. So at a later date, you have to come back and say, hey, what is this thing? It's an unfinished argument. They literally created a loop in your head well, that will then suck you back in. So you consider that. That is one way of getting somebody's attention is by creating an open loop because everybody loves a mystery and they always want the conclusion or, the, or it's solved. Now, one way you can cause people to be influenced is you can have, so let's, let's say somebody puts out an example and they create an argument, right? Rather than attacking the argument specifically, what you could do is you could provide a counter argument. It's like, this thing happened, and because this thing happened, this was the outcome. And you can see it was completely diametrically opposed to exactly what they said. And you didn't come out and you didn't argue with them. All you did is provided a counter argument. And when you introduce that, that can then cause somebody to go pause and figure out, wait a minute, this is not true. So think about it. Think about your sales process. Think about the product. Think about the thing that you're selling. And then ask yourself this question. When people bring up this objection and they say that it doesn't work because of, then you can come up with, an, with a counter argument that then shows that this is how it transpired. Then you can actually start getting into influence or persuasion, cause them to start doing things different. All right, number seven, I think, therefore, or I link, therefore, I think. Like, probably one of the easiest ways you can see it is, remember when you were in high school? You probably supported your own high school, okay? We played high school football. It's like, boom, I support my high school football. But then when you get up to the college level, okay, all these kids come together. So you have a college, you have a, a college up in like, right now you got, you got BYU here locally. And then you got the University of Utah, okay? Well, BYU and the University of Utah, they like, they like to compete to, against each other. If, 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 if you were to go one level up, all of a sudden we had an NFL or uh, an NFL team where everybody worked for, people would probably then come together and then support that particular team and then be rivals against other states. But collectively, people like they will create associations. They will create associations like if I'm around white people, I, I'm a white person, therefore I like white people. If I'm Hispanic, therefore I like Hispanic. But we tend to like things in associations of how we are. Uh, one, one time I see this a lot is if we go out and we meet with somebody Hispanic and my son speaks Spanish, all of a sudden it like clears the room, makes it way easier because he starts engaging in dialogue and they're like, hey, you know Spanish, you're just like me. Okay. And then all of a sudden it introduces a better, a greater amount of rapport by the very fact that we have associations. So think about that. How can I use associations inside what I'm doing that will then cause people to open up? Now, there's a nonverbal associations that people use. Like think of a doctor. He comes in with a white robe. Like that white robe is a nonverbal, but it suggests that he has authority. Okay. A police officer does the same thing in a uniform. 
if a person comes in and they got their like clothes are all shredded and it's garbage, right? You're probably like, oh man, you're you're like you're not successful. You're highly broke. Therefore, I'm going to have an association and opinion of you. Like my brother-in-law, he he does very well, okay? But he wears work clothes and he goes and he does work stuff. And then when he went in to buy a truck, they, he was like, I want the best truck you got on the lot. And they kept steering him to all these trucks that were not the best trucks on the lot. And he's like, dude, he goes, I do not want that truck. I do not want that truck. And he ended up saying, he says, you take and you show me one more truck that is not what I'm asking for. I am out of here and I am done. And somehow I think they pulled his credit and they're like, you can buy any truck you want on this lot because he's like, I can put the money down and I got the credit. Okay. And, and after that, they started steering him different. They, they, they made some decisions about him based on nonverbal cues. And in this particular case, those nonverbal cues were completely inaccurate. Okay. Um, you probably had to think about it. You're probably making that same, that same mistake with some of your clients. I actually made one the other day. I was meeting with a guy. I did not think that he had a, a tremendous net worth. I did not think he had a tremendous income. Everything, everything in that environment and in that particular situation suggested that he didn't. When I got done going through this stuff and I said, okay, here's this. Does this look good? And he's like, yeah. And uh, when I was filling out the application, on the application it says, what is your income? And he goes, my income is 212000 bucks." I'm like, 212000 bucks. I'm like, are you crapping me? He's like, no, that's how much I make. How much did you pay in taxes? $86,000. bucks. i am like, dude, you know what? You've got a major tax problem. You're giving all your money away. How about if we give you this product and this product? And I gave him two upsells that he bought so that he could get tax credits to offset how much he's paying. Like that, his sell got substantially larger by the mere fact that I had a preconceived notion about where this person was. And once I had a real once once reality hit in and I discovered that I was 100% wrong, I then gave him a better solution for where he was at. People make this mistake all the time. It's it's not it's not it's not unknown, okay? Um there's persuasive demographics, okay? Um I would say that in this particular case, this actually came into play. Because this guy that was making $212,000, he was living in basically a 1,600 square foot house, okay, in a neighborhood that typically is a very low, low income neighborhood. Therefore, based on his demographics, I then approached the, the, the cell different based on that demographic, when in, in fact, I was completely mistaken. What was helpful is, is I had enough data or tools in front of me to help me discover my mistake, okay? But there are demographics that, that will then cause you to, like if you think about it, like if you went up to a Hispanic person, you could probably go up to them collectively, and I could be wrong, and maybe this is my demographic thing, but you could go up and give them a hug. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's how every culture is, okay? Like some cultures like to have a whole bunch of people to live together. Some cultures don't. Some, we all have different cultures. But if you understand the demographics, you can then use that as a very persuasive strategy. Um, so you've got to understand, right here it's going to talk about understanding the mechanics of persuade, uh, persuasion. It, he used a, like a formula. It says, if, when, then. And it says, so if I'm in this spot, and when I'm there, then I'm going to do this. Think about it. So you're in a checking line, okay? You're at the grocery store in a checking line, 
And if, if I'm in a checking line and I don't want to waste time, I'm going to pull out my cell phone. I'm going to start looking at my device. Here it is. Got my cell phone out. I'm going to start looking at my device. And then after I look at my device, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to then to do this particular outcome. So think about it. If, when, then you can use that particular tool to determine or to cause an outcome to take into play, take place. Okay. Um, one of the secrets is being together. Influence. When you are in a geographical, here, here, have you ever noticed like mob mentality? This is probably the easiest example to understand. When you are in a mob, you then become a part of a mob mentality. You would, you would then find yourself open to ransacking a store, which historically you would never, ever consider ransacking a store. You see what I'm saying? Because you would behave different in that particular situation. So understand, what are the things or the things that are transpiring in this particular group where we could do it? Tony Robbins does this all the time. Could you ever imagine jumping up on your stairs, screaming at the top of your lungs, acting like a crazy man? No, you would not. But Tony gets people to do it because he conditions the environment so that people are willing to get up on their chair and to get crazy yelling at each other, I own you. And they're like, no, I own you. No, I own you. Right? And they, they, they do that. But because he puts them inside that environment. And so he will create environments where people will act together so that they can start doing things. Therefore, they become unified in that experience. Okay, therein lies the art of persuasion. The ethical, you got to use these with ethics, right? The ethical way to persuade people to make decisions. And there is a whole front end portion on how to persuade people. If you want to join the 250 Club, you've got to learn how to set the stage in advance. And then once the person's in front of you, you've got to be able to know how to persuade them to make decisions. And if you know that, you join the 250K club. That, my friends, is another Rags of Secrets, and I will talk to you later.